So before we get into the message, I want to give you a little disclaimer today. Um, there will be some of you who will struggle with what Jesus says in the scriptures we're going to look at today. Um, there will be others of you who won't struggle with what Jesus says. As a matter of fact, you'll actually agree with what he's saying, but you'll still find yourself struggling to live out what he says. The reason for these responses and why Jesus says that it's so hard to do this is because they're culturally acceptable today. The challenge put before you today and really every day is to follow Jesus even when he says things that go against what our society today says is culturally acceptable. How do we live as Christians when following Jesus is not the acceptable response? So let me start by asking you a question. What does love require of you? What does love require of you? As we're going to look, Jesus almost seems to, some people think, nullify what the law said in the Old Testament. But he's not doing that at all. He's actually raising the bar of what we should do as followers of Jesus, which is to love. And I think as you follow along with me, you'll see that what Jesus says doesn't trump the law. It takes the law and says, do this, but this is what you should actually do. Because if you love, you'll fulfill the law. The law is kind of like the, the floor, and love is the ceiling. So let me get to the next question. Have you murdered anyone lately? Some of you laugh, but this is a serious question. Have you murdered anybody lately? We'll come back to that and see what your answer is. So as we look today at Matthew 5, 21 through 30, Jesus starts out with, the first of six antithesis, theses, theses, there we go, antitheses. He'll start out by saying, you have heard, and then he goes on to say, but I tell you. Now, if, if you're a, a Jewish rabbi who has studied everything in the first five books of our Old Testament, which is the Torah, the books of the law, you literally have it all memorized. You know everything inside and out. And here is this, this newcomer to them who says, you've heard that it was said, but I'm telling you. And you're like, who are you to tell me what it 
already says, and I already know these are the things I'm supposed to do, as we'll find out, he kind of takes their life, their idea of God, and kind of dumps it on their head. So Matthew 5, starting in verse 21, look at the first two verses here. It says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Ouch. So Jesus is actually quoting Exodus 20, verse 13, and Deuteronomy 5, 17. When he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not murder. There are some of us that will get caught up in that phrase of the commandment concerning murder versus kill. I want to encourage you to not do that here. Why? Because to focus on the person's intentions of taking another person's life will distract you from what Jesus is really trying to get you to see. Which is, murder is just a physical action. But God cares about way more than the physical action. He cares about what's in the heart. Jesus is not trying to change the Old Testament. He does not have anything against the Old Testament. What he is doing is he has an issue with the interpretation of the Scripture. You see, Jesus probes behind the Old Testament moral law into God's mind. Jesus reveals what that intent is and how his followers are to live. It's kind of like Jesus is trying to reveal to us the, a fuller expression of what God was trying to get the Hebrew people to understand. He wanted them to understand that life of a human being matters. That every person has value. And when you take a life, you devalue that person. And if by taking their life you devalue them, Jesus is saying, so what does it mean when you say, Raka? Well, before we get to explaining that part, in verse 22, Jesus says, if you're angry with a brother or sister, well, this, the translation here of that phrase literally means, well, brother or sister, family member, or a follower, a fellow follower of Christ. So when we first see this, we might think that, okay, well, so I'm just not supposed to hate a fellow Christian. 
Well, that's not what he's saying at all because he actually tells us later in what we'll look at next week, a little later in his sermon, where he references loving only those who love you back are not the only people that we're supposed to love. So if he tells us that we're supposed to love, later he refers to it as our enemies, I seriously doubt he's saying it's okay to hate your enemies, but you're supposed to love them. You'll figure it out later. So, raka is Aramaic. It means empty head. Empty head. Pretty much dumb, stupid, idiot, fool. You see, Jesus wants to deal with the root issue of murder, which is anger. You see, Ephesians 4.26, Paul writes, In your anger, do not sin. In your anger, do not sin. You see, anger leads to murder, so he prohibits the anger and spells out the consequences. The consequences being judgment. You see, in a court of law, someone can testify to what another person has done and said. He cannot testify to what is in the heart, what the intention was. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, Samuel writes, the Lord looks at the heart. See, by the time something becomes an action, it's already too late. Because everything that was inside of your heart is what fueled the outward action. So if we're ever going to stop ourselves from doing an outward action, we have to understand that we have to deal with the matter of the heart first. Christians later came to actually understand this. And they wrote in the Didache, do not become angry, for anger leads to murder. The Didache, Didache literally means teaching. It was the, kind of the teaching of the, the first apostles, the, yeah, the, the 12 apostles, and it was one of the earliest manuscripts from the early church. And so they took what the Old Testament said, they took what Jesus said in the New Testament, and they helped us stupefy it for us to understand that this is what it's saying. Don't get angry, because if you come, become angry, it's going to lead to other things. So let me ask you again, have you murdered anyone lately? You see, not just an outward action, physically killing somebody. But the action of hate and hatred that is in your heart. And 
God's eyes is equal to murdering them. So which is harder, to follow the law or to follow love? He goes on in verse 23, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. This was huge. This was, this was an even bigger statement than the first statement. Because literally, what God is saying is a transgression. Or being reconciled with a brother or sister trumps the sacredness of your worship to God. Because your relationship that isn't reconciled affects your worship. But you see, a relationship that seeks reconciliation is worship. Because by you honoring the other person and valuing that person, you're valuing God. God's creation. You're valuing them. But notice what Jesus says. He says, if you remember that someone has something against you, he did not say, if you have something against somebody else, no, he didn't say that. He said, if the offended party has something against you, you go and seek to be reconciled. Leave your gift at the altar. He didn't say sacrifice the gift and as fast as you can, go and be reconciled. Leave your gift at the altar. Stop what you're doing because the most important thing in your life in that moment is that broken relationship. Because if you allow that broken relationship to fester, to become something bigger than it should have been, you become angry. Your anger becomes hatred. Your hatred could turn into physical acts of aggression. Then come. He never said don't. But he says, after you've been reconciled, then come back and then worship. Because when that reconciliation happens, you have a whole lot more to worship God for, don't you? Your praise becomes a little different in your life. You see something more valuable than you once saw it. Verse 25. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. 
do it while you are still together on the way. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. Once judgment has been rendered, you're going to pay. What if you could work it out before you get to that point? of now you're under judgment. Moving on through that one quickly. Next one. Verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He's quoting Exodus 20, verse 14, and Deuteronomy 5, 18. Just as murder begins with anger, adultery begins with lust, a matter of the heart. Adultery in Jesus' world was sexual relations with someone other than one's spouse and in, a particular, and in particular with somebody else's spouse. But he redefines adultery by going to the level of desire. To quote John Chrysostom, the Archbishop of Constantinople, he says, you kindle the furnace within you. You've already lit the fire before you even done anything. See, sex is truly a gift from God. It's a wholesome thing that, that was meant to be within the confines of a marriage. The expression was meant to be within those boundaries for our welfare. Jesus supplements the law because while he approves of the old law, which condemns the external act as evil, he declares that no less evil is the intention that brings it out, that brings into act, into action the adultery Exodus 20 verse 17 God said you shall not covet your neighbor's wife you shall not covet you shall not desire or lust after your neighbor's wife you see Jesus knows who he's created he knows us he knows males more specifically, it, this it can be a, a lust can be an issue for females, but statistically speaking, it's more of an issue for men. He knows that we're really good at coming up with shortcuts and excuses um, to make it culturally acceptable. 
I'm sure you've heard a man say, it's okay to look, just not touch. Right? You've heard that excuse. Or it's not okay to stare, but it's okay to take a quick glance. Well, Jesus addresses that issue. He says, anyone who looks Expression is translated into an action of the heart. Sexual relations begin with the eyes. The, the look to desire is about intentionally fostering a sexual temptation and arousal through the imagination. You see, Jesus is against sexual fantasizing with an inappropriate person. He knows where it eventually leads. And his brother, James, understood what he was saying. In James 1, verse 15, James writes, Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So what is Jesus trying to get at? He's trying to say, okay, here's the thing. Death is what's going to happen. Do we want to wait until someone's hanging over the cliff? Or do we want to try to resolve the issue within the heart before it even becomes an outward action? something that can be uh, controversial for some people. I've heard some people push back on this, and um, not so much on one part, but on the other part. So viewing pornography, nude images, fill in all of the blanks, is wrong for both single people and married couples. Some people will push back and they'll even tell me that like we get that it's wrong for the single person to do it but it enhances the relationship for marriage no it doesn't you're taking the desire as a man that you should have for your spouse and fantasizing about what's happening there when that's probably not what's happening in your relationship It takes us down a road we don't want to go. Jesus is saying to even look at another person lustfully is to commit adultery in your heart. In the Old Testament, it was a capital offense to commit adultery. Is Jesus saying to lust after someone is a capital offense? answer that one. Jesus is also saying that the way a person looks or is dressed is not the guilty party. The United States needs to get that through our thick head. Jesus expects us to control our desires, our hearts. 
one of my strongest things that, that drives me nuts is parents who let their kid, specifically girls, go out of the house dressed the way they do. Well, you're just meddling. Well, no, I'm not meddling. Sometimes I feel like I care more about the value of their child than they do. Because what they are doing is setting their child up for the boys in the school to lust after her. Now, ultimately, we can't control that, right? But I'm pretty sure somewhere in, in the scriptures, Jesus says something about making a stumbling block for somebody else. That we probably shouldn't do that. We have to watch how we let people dress, how we let kids dress. My girls hate it. Because they're getting to that point where they want to wear what they want to wear. And I'm like, no, you're not. Well, cover it up. Now I am. Value who you are. If we don't teach kids to value themselves, how will they ever know that they're supposed to value themselves. If we don't value them and show them their value, they won't know that they're supposed to even value themselves. But just as much as we can point and say, you know, girls go out and they dress however they want, equally is wrong is to let your, your son go and devalue women. To make the jokes about how they look or how they're dressed. To, you're devaluing that person. It's not a matter of a preference. It doesn't matter what your preference is. You're taking them and you're saying, because of how you're dressed, because of how you look, you don't have value. That's not okay. Verse 29. If your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right arm causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than the whole body to be thrown into hell. Jesus demands transformation by urging his followers to metaphorically, hear me, metaphorically remove the source of the desire. For, for some people, I left it down here. Uh, for some people, we need to um, cut off the source of the desire because it is connected to the arm. 
See, there, there's a reason why um, every male person um, should have a flip phone under a certain age, at least if it's not controlled by a parent with parental blocking, which you can do, by the way. So if you need help understanding how to do that, come find me. I'll help you. Your child will love me. Why? Because you give them access to every possible thing in the world related to sex right here. Parents, grandparents, well, maybe parents first. If grandparents aren't in the picture, or if parents aren't in the picture, grandparents, you have permission. You should be going through your child's phone on a regular basis. What do they have on their phones? What pictures are they taking? What are they saying in their text messages? That's not being an overbearing parent. That's called accountability, which is something that a lot of this world lacks. So if Jesus is telling us the sin starts with the desire in our heart, to stop us before we get to the ultimate action, shouldn't we as parents care about what leads to that outward action? Jennifer knows the passcode to my phone. She regularly, like I'll walk out of the room, I'll walk back, and where's my phone? She's got it in front of her. She's looking through it. She's reading all my text messages. Usually that's when I get in trouble because I haven't told her about something that happened in the church or, you know, half, I mean, not because I've been bad, but because I haven't told her something. That's usually when I get in trouble because she's going through my phone. I have permission to go through her phone. And guess what? This wasn't a written rule. This was, okay, go for it. Only the person with something to hide will say, no, you cannot. And if they say, no, you cannot, especially if it's a kid, it's, <laughs> you, don't, you definitely don't have no option now. I'm looking through it. Because what requires more of us? To follow the law or to love? promise you what hurts more to our kids is to not love them enough to care about right now. Don't just show them you care when something happens. Care enough now that they value who they are. That when they go on that date with that person and they drive them to that secret spot where nobody knows, but yet the whole school knows where the spot is. And, and there, she's like, uh-uh. I don't know what you think you're doing. Dad, speed dial calls me. <clears throat> Let's just say it'll be safer for me to call the police and have them come get you than for me to go 
like retrieve my child. Why? Because I want to teach my children that they have a value, that they are loved, that they have an expectation to treat their bodies as something sacred. So that when they're by themselves, they know how to value themselves. And they know how to expect the same out of whoever they're with. I could go on and on and on about this. Because could you imagine how different our schools would look? How different our communities would look? Our government systems? Go on and on and on. If we just taught kids to value each other. not loving me because this is who I am. No, I love you because I want to see you in eternity with God. I don't want you to sin. I don't want you to to do something that may lead you down that path. That is a greater love than okay, if that's what you really want. what we're guilty of. I've been thinking about this song. It's a whole process of thinking this in my head, and uh, which is, can be distracting enough as it is. But there's a song that I never thought in my life I would be like referencing a Simon and Garfunkel song in, in ever. Um, but it was redone by a different group, which is kind of how I heard about it. And it's called The Sound of Silence. If you want to know what the sound of silence sounds like, go outside your front door and listen. The sirens going off because another child has been killed or the sirens that are going off because another person has been shot, another person has been raped on another college campus. The the governments can't agree. Everyone hates everyone else. No one knows even what it means to love another person. What does that mean? The song of silence is the result of our lack as Christians to stand up to. What is wrong? To have an expectation to live a moral, upright life. You see, for far too long, Christians have been quiet. Because that's, that's we, we need to let them be who they need to be. But what if they don't know that there's a better option? What if God sent you into their life to show them a better option? we're too afraid to speak so we hear the sound of silence today in our schools in our communities you see Jesus had two options when he stood up to give that sermon he could tell them 
and reiterate what they should be doing with the law. But he said, no, I want to call you to something better. I want you to to rise to the occasion to love. Because here's the thing. If you love in every circumstance, you will fulfill the law. And you won't break any of the Ten Commandments. So now it's not a matter of maintaining a bunch of rules and regulations. Just love. So what does love require of you? It's a good question. Hopefully you'll ask yourselves. Stand with me. If you'll reach out your hands and just receive this blessing. Jesus, I thank you for the perfect example of love. God, no one here is ever going to live up to the fullest expectation of what true love is. But God, I pray that each one of us would try our hardest to live up to it. If we want to see our families transformed, help us to love we want to see our neighborhoods and our communities and our schools and help us to love. Show us how to love. Convict us of the guilt of the sin that is upon us. Not just in the outward actions, but in the heart. Help us to be transformed to your likeness, God. Not to be you, but to be one with you. Thank you, Jesus.